Hi, I'm Erica Ramirez, founder of Illy and host of What About Your Friends, a podcast dedicated to the many lives of friendship and how it's portrayed in pop culture. Every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish feed, I talk to my best friend, Stephen Othello, and your favorites from within the Ringer and beyond about friendships on TV, in movies, pop culture, and our real lives. So join me every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish feed, where we try to answer the question TLC asked back in the day, what about your friends? There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to Guilty Pleasures on Ringer Dish. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm here with my colleague, Nora Princiati. Hi, Nora. Hi, Juliette. I'm delighted to be podcasting with you. It's been a while. I know, it really has. I think I've said this to you before, but whenever I say Hey Juliet at the beginning of a podcast, I think of the song Hey Juliet by LMNT. But I think I asked you about this once and you weren't, it wasn't canon to you. It's it's very much canon to me. So that moment, every once in a while when we do get to have it, it brings me joy. I'm so glad. Well, I feel joy today because we're here to discuss the new Apple TV Plus show, The Buccaneers. Um, It's an ensemble drama based on an unfinished Edith Wharton novel. It is the second adaptation of said novel following a movie from the 90s that starred Carla Cugino. Nora, what was your description of this version of Buccaneers? Because I love, like, I'm just curious for like what your reference points are. So like if you're for selling this show to people who haven't started watching yet, like how would you describe it? Uh, I would just say that like I've never seen a show where the girls are girling as much as in the first three episodes of The Buccaneers. (laughs) Like I I love a period piece. I love a period drama. I love anything where we're at balls, we're, we're coming out, we're meeting lords, we're having drama. But really the the selling point for the first episodes of The Buccaneers is that more than more than a Bridgerton, more than, you know, even a, a Pride and Prejudice, right? More, maybe not quite more than Gilded Age, but probably more than Gilded Age. It's just like girls in rooms being silly. And there's some real stuff that happens. And, and I'm curious if the sort of darker threads that have come up in moments are going to be more present as the show keeps going on. But what sold me initially was just the gals are having a good time and they're wearing dresses and they're being friends. <laughs> um, it's really, I had a great time watching. It's like a little bit slow at the beginning because I think at the very beginning, it feels slightly derivative or not slightly. It feels derivative. I'm just going to say that. But like, and for me, the it's derivative of as you said, Bridgerton, a little bit of Pride and Prejudice, a little bit of like frothy teen movie. And you get this group of five women. It almost like had like a, you know, in the first Wives Club where they have the flashback scene to them in college. It almost like reminded me of that scene of all of them with their pearl necklaces. Uh, And then Taylor Swift and Phoebe Bridgers' song, Nothing New, drops. And I was like, okay, interesting. And I was really into that. I really like that song. Where do you stand on it? 
It's it's absolutely one of my favorites. And it, it was one of the, not a surprise song, but when I saw the Eras tour, Phoebe Bridgers was one of the openers. Oh, so they nice. played it. And I was not expecting to just like, that was one of the moments when I just sobbed. So I think I didn't quite understand how important that song is to me, but it's it's yes, like a it's, really it's really good song, really and they good. use it like in the first ten minutes, and it's really it's really fun. Um, and so like it has all these like no like these um, familiar elements, but then it becomes its own show in like a pretty pretty fun way. I'm glad you mentioned the Gilded Age because another sort of like Gilded Age element of it is this sort of um, new money versus old money, and um, particularly as it relates to Americans, because the plot of the show is five American women sort of get embedded into this Brit- like British high society. One of them gets married, Conchi, and she is despised by her British in-laws. But nevertheless, the friend group goes to London. It begins in New York. And then uh, they are all like looking to get married. And the main character is a girl named Nan St. George, who's played by the Norwegian-American actress Christian Forseth. Did you watch Looking for Alaska, Nora? I didn't. I'm actually not even familiar with it. You should do it. I highly recommend it. It was a Hulu show that she starred in. She played the titular Alaska. And I haven't thought about her since, but she's really good. And basically, (laughs) she's kind of like, supposed to be like the second sister, but she um, becomes the main character. And it's just like... She was not supposed to be the main character, she tells us. Of course. Uh, Who do you think has the most main character energy on this show? I think Conchita, mm-hmm. like Conchita's just like, she's, she's very clearly, you know, she's the first one who got married and she is how they, I think, initially introduced this idea of the clash between the boisterous American girls and the stuffy Brits. That's another thing that I think is really interesting and fun about watching this is like, I tend to watch a lot of period pieces that have similarities to the Buccaneers from this like very anglophilic perspective of like, oh, you know, there are so many sad things that happen on the crown, right? Or yeah. but at the same time, I'm kind of going like, oh, it's so glamorous. It's so interesting. Like, look at this world. <laughs> Even though like it is a deeply, deeply problematic and often very dark and very sad world. Everyone who produced the show, all the EPs on the show, um, the writers, the directors, they're all Brits. Mm-hmm. And so it's very fun to watch the inverse of that, I think, where the distinctions that they draw between the British people in general, but like especially the women and the American women are, they're heavy handed in a way that I like, like especially initially whenever the five are together, they are like chugging champagne and... <laughs> <laughs> dancing in a circle and they're always moving and they're always wearing colors. And then the contrast with Conchi's uh, husband, um, Richard, Lord Richard, and his parents is so stark where they're so awful and so still and so <laughs> buttoned up that like, I guess on some level it makes them a little bit one-dimensional. But for me, it worked as a contrast just because in general, I think the British culture tends to be glamorized in in stuff like this. So that was really interesting for me. And the nothing new drop, I found to be such an interesting moment in the show because that was when like you go from fluffy, frothy, everyone's dancing to they're at the dub ball and... 
everything all of a sudden, it's this like event that they've been building to and that normally is part of that like glamorized culture, but it's a fucking meat market. Like it's sad. It doesn't look fun. The girls have numbered signs so that the men can just like pick them off. And it's it's darker and sharper, I think, than a lot of treatments of similar events. Not that there aren't great balls in this show, because there well, are. I think that's really, as that's a really great point and really true to Edith Wharton. I don't know how much you remember from, of Edith Wharton or how sure. much you like Edith Wharton, but her novels are very much about um, the constricting factors of like high society. And she's American, um, but she's part of like the modernist group of writers that sort of were going in between England and the US with like the Henry Jameses of the worlds and whatnot. Um, and I think it's, like, very true to her, and I, I'm glad that we kind of got to this point because one thing that I find exciting about the show is that there was some controversy over the original movie and the ending, which I'm not going to tell you what it is, but a lot of people quibbled with it because it wasn't from the original Edith Wharton. So one thing I think is cool about this is because the novel is unfinished, I actually, like, have no idea how it will end, and, like, having read, like, ha- knowing about the movie or, like, having read the book, like, doesn't doesn't serve yet in terms of, like, major spoilers because... Edith Wharton didn't get to finish it, and so it's, like, sort of up to the whoever has, like, optioned it to decide what the ultimate ending is. And I think that's, like, that's sort of, like, an exciting piece of this, especially because it does feel like they're being really true to, like, who Edith Wharton is and, like, how she, like, like the types of, like, women that were in her books. And, and it's always, like, women who have, like, a big spirit that's somehow being, like, squashed by the, the right. confines around her. So I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited about it. Um I also, like, really, I I think that's, like, a a great point about the sort of the glamorizing of the Americans because they do have, like, this fieriness to them. And the thing that was, like, the weirdest for me about the show, like, I would say the world building was a little little bit less, like, artful than, like, Bridgerton and the first, like, 10 minutes in that I was kind of confused. I was like, is this, like, a Sofia Coppola take on Marie Antoinette? Like, what's going (laughs) on? Like, what's going on here? And I think it's because there is, like, this really big difference between the Americans and the Brits in a way that, like, we Americans maybe aren't prepared for. And so that's why I, like, thought of, um, like, the marketing campaign for Kirsten Dunst as Sophia, as Marie Antoinette way back when. <laughs> well, it's not, like, it's not a subtle show. For, I no. think, more for better than for worse, but it goes both ways, right? Like, some of the... We are jumping large periods of time. We are not really concerned about anachronism. <laughs> we are doing things that occasionally veer into caricature, like Richard's mom. And I think ultimately that elevates it and it makes it fun and just like pushes extremes in a way. And I'm hoping and I'm encouraged that at least based on the first drop, the show seems smart enough to pull that off. But it it does occasionally cut both ways, right? When it's just like, okay, all right, that's... First of all, what? Like, where are we? It's been weeks, months, okay? But I'm just going to go with it. Um, yeah, I feel the same way. I'm happy to go with it, which I feel like is the motto of this nascent podcast, Guilty Pleasures. Happy to go with it. Going with it and happy to do so. Um, I want to talk about some of the guys and some of the men on this show. Uh, and then we can also dig in more into the various people you might recognize. But 
um, there are sort of like three or four guys so far that are particularly important. And I'd like to start with the Duke, um, who's played by Guy Remmers. His name is Theo. He's sort of the Duke in the same way that um, Bridgerton season one had the Duke. And the it's like Duke. the biggest deal in the world. The Duke. I love, I guess like because I'm American, the different um, like titles and like levels of being, you know, like, I don't know, fancy other than just being in the royal family is like very uh, meaningless to me. And oh so my it's gosh. so funny. It's, it's like pints and courts and you never know <laughs> yeah. which one, it, you know, like dukes and lords. You could tell me that goes in any hierarchy. And I've, I've consumed stuff like this my entire life. Like in of theory, course. it should have resonated at some point, but I, I'm totally with you. I have absolutely no idea how, <gasps> like how many dukes are there? I guess I, know. I now think that that's a big a deal based on this show in Bridgerton. Right. But I think there are a lot of Dukes based on my knowledge of the royal family and like how they just like hand out titles and stuff. And then the fact that like in every book, there's like a Duke. And I'm just like, how did he become the Duke? Right. <laughs> Versus like an Earl or a Viscount. Like, I don't know. I need Viscount uh, someone to explain Viscount is so it. like opaque to me. Viscount could be, Viscount could be like fourth in the line of succession to the throne or Viscount <laughs> could be like, you're a country lawyer. Did you ever watch uh, Ladies of London? Yes. Oh I my actually God. just, yes. Uh, Ladies of London is 100% my favorite Bravo show of all time. There's no competition. And Julie Montague was with a Viscount, if you recall. <laughs> and it was like a burden on her. She was like, how do we pay for this fucking house? Like it was a huge, it was, it was like a huge issue to upkeep the grounds. And then also like living right. up to being a Viscountess as an American. It was like really hard for her. I, Love that show. I could not recommend it enough. It was recommended to me um, by a girl I stood in line with for like five hours to get into a Kate sample sale Wow! last year. That's intense. That was like one of the deepest kindnesses anyone's ever done to me was be like, you should watch this. Are you guys still in touch? No. Wow. I have people like that. Once I was online in line in Cinderella, either Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve, must have been Christmas because this woman who I don't know was telling me about how she was hosting her husband's family for the first Christmas ever. And she was trying to do a seven fishes thing. <laughs> and she was like buying a lot of different kind of fish. And I've always wondered how, and she was like really going in about like how she thought about the menu and like what she was buying. And I just have always wondered how it went. And this yeah. was like many years ago. So yeah. <laughs> it's the people you meet online. <laughs> you just like Not think of them. on chat room in line, I guess. Well, but I think, okay, I mean, not, you know, we can we can leave the, the Ladies of London parallels out of this because I suppose it's different. But that, the the concept of, like, titular the title prestige, being a burden. Well, or just, like, the prestige of being a titled landowner in British society versus the American women who don't have that type of, of background but do have money, the so-called, like, dollar princesses, is one of the big drivers here, right? Because that's what they, to some extent, have to offer when they go over there is, is that some of the guy's families are, are worried about, you know, keeping the roof on. Right. Which is also the premise of Downton Abbey, which is like Lady Grantham brought her American riches. Um, and also just another television show, if you're into all of this, on the Smithsonian channel, Elizabeth McGovern, who plays Lady Grantham, 
she hosts a show called Million Dollar American Princess. And it's like all of the like alleged real life stories of Americans who married into European royalty. And it's one of my favorite like background watches in the I world. I want more people <laughs> to start sentences that they say to me with on the Smithsonian channel. That was a joy. <laughs> that was a delight. Smithsonian channel and celebrity vehicles on National Geographic are like some of my favorite programming. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Back to the Buccaneers. So what you're alluding to is Nan, who we talked about. This is a very mild spoiler. It's very obvious that this is going to happen in episode one, so don't get mad at me, people. She becomes the love interest of Theo, the Duke. And she does not know when she meets Theo, the Duke, that he is the Duke. And his lifestyle becomes like a concern because she's not sure she wants to be a duchess or can be a duchess or whatever. And so there's like so much, and he's also burdened by it. So this show very much presents the, like the um, being titled as like something that's like really hard to deal with, which I, which I think is also kind of different. But I actually brought him up initially because I wanted to talk about the swimming that occurs in this television show. Um <laughs> We don't get a lot of, like, Victorian-era swimming on television. And Nan <laughs> and Theo, the Duke and Nan, uh, meet on the beaches of Cornwall. And, like, this is a dream for me. I would, like, love... First of all, I've always wanted to go to Cornwall. I watched surfing documentaries about people who go surfing there. And, like, seeing them in their Victorian okay, um, hold beach on. costumes... Hold on. Nope. Time out. Pause. <laughs> Where are these surfing documentaries? We're just going to give you know, a running, running list of wrecks. I think I think right now, I'm th- I, right now I'm actually thinking of an episode of Drive to Survive where Valtteri 
Botas goes surfing off the coast of uh, oh, okay. Dorset, yes. Cornwall. Yes, this I this I recognize. <laughs> this I'm familiar with. But okay. I've also like I love I love a surfing doc as well, Nora. You're just learning a lot about my weird TV interests right now. These are no, all I'm guilty compiling pleasures. Compiling a list. I'm making a list for myself. There's, this is like it is November fifteenth. This is prime. Just like curling up in bed and watching weird television months. So this is very useful. <laughs> this week I watched a forty minute documentary about um. A, a group of volcanologists going to like a really hard to get to volcano in the South Atlantic. So like that's where I'm at. It's yeah, it's fuck, yeah. it's you know it's just that's what that's what I'm into. Anyway, I loved the swimming, the Victorian swimming. When's the last time you saw people in swimming costumes in the fucking 1880s? It's it's been a minute. I too enjoy it. He swims. He's not swimming nude the first time, but the second time, you see his butt. Yeah, I think if I recall correctly. Yeah. yeah. Which I mean, if if I if I had access to a completely private beach, and I wanted to go for a, a moody afternoon skinny dip after I've done my painting, I suppose like that sounds pleasant to me. So, yeah, you know. I mean, Theo the Duke is living literally a best life, and he can't even appreciate it. He has a castle on a hill overlooking a cliff, the cliffs of Cornwall. He paints on the beach, and then he goes swimming in his pantaloons or naked. And he's like just just crushing it. And then Nan, she's wearing like her dressing gown in the water. I just have like a lot of questions about how many dressing gowns one would have so that you could sacrifice one to the to the sea. So it would be fine for you to be wet. I just like <laughs> there was um a real verite to it that's that stuck with me, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Although I think clothes were made out of more real materials. They're probably less apt to get ruined by salt water. That's true. Like she's wearing some pure cotton or something. I think it'll need a good wash, but then it'll hang dry. And yeah, I think it'll be fine. A lot of the like logistics of like life in previous eras is really interesting to me. So when they depict something as banal swimming um, in the 1880s with like some degree of realism, I'm just like enthralled. So I really, I loved it. Thank you so much, Buccaneers. I don't think that's the point of the show, but I, you know, it stuck with me. Um, some of the other characters that I also feel we must discuss. Let's talk about these these brothers because it took me about, I don't know, two and a half hours of this show to realize that a character named Lord Richard Marable was the brother of someone named Lord James Seaton. Yes. That's another problem with these, like, being nobility. Uh, the naming convention's very confusing. Yeah, you can name them anything. <laughs> Did you know they were brothers, like, at the beginning? I did know they were brothers. I didn't know either of their names. <laughs> so I could understand them as brothers before anyone introduced James Seaton as a character to me. So by that time, I was like, okay, that's weird, but fine. James Seaton is revealed to be probably the supervillain of the show. He seems like essentially what we would say in 2023 is like, uh, an ab- if not abusive, a very like emotionally manipulative partner. And I found it, like, very sinister. Well, and not even partner, right? Because I think this is in episode two when they go to the country for this sort of, like, long weekend of of partying. And he has been flirting, is, I guess, the word that I will use. <laughs> so he's with, been doing something. <laughs> yeah. Jenny who is Nan's sister, or by this time we've learned half-sister. Ginny. Ginny. Ginny with an I. Yes. Yeah. That's hard for me. Um, but Ginny St. George. 
And she is the most interested in, at least as far as we know, in getting married off to a member of the nobility. She's the most down for embracing this life. Nan seems like she's the least. Ginny is is the contrast to that. And all of a sudden, she is excited about his potential advances, but then they play sardines or hide-and-seek, and he goes into a room with... It's Lizzie? Lizzie, yeah. Lizzie. And I don't know if I want to spoil... Like, sh- I don't know if we want to spoil this because this is one of the biggest sort of... Well, I think we can just say it um, It takes a really dark turn. And it's not like... I don't think a trigger warning is necessary. It's not as that dark, but it's uncomfortable. He's really like a, a very mean person, at, like at best. Well, and, and it's not... And a part of what's... Of course, this would be really, really sinister either way, but they're not... This is a, it happens during a first advance. So there's something where, I mean, he doesn't even know her. He just gets presented as, as this guy who like gets off on humiliating women. Right. And it's, um, it's really like, it's really weird and nuts. And meanwhile, his brother seems like this great guy at the beginning, Richard, AKA Dick. And then he, he's ambivalent about how he feels about his family's approval of his wife, um, who, is Conchi, as we referred to before. She's got the most main character energy, though she's not the main character. Uh, And I actually think that relationship is, like, the most interesting part of the show so far. Also, Conchi is played by an actress of color, which I think is a a decision, you know, that is a departure from the book and also is more interesting and makes the show, I think, richer. It's an actress named Alicia Bowe. And I think that's another piece of the Bridgerton, like, aspect of it where it feel it's like it's race blind casting until it's not and in both shows like race is right. discussed um right. and that is like a another interesting part of the show and like part of also d- like navigating the british first american social dynamics of of how that's approached and I, i'm like just excited to see more of the relationships play out because the, one of the things that the first three episodes does really well is establish like the, the complicated interconnected web of relationships among, like, the main five women and, um, like, the main five men, essentially. I also wanted to mention some of the parents because parents are all just TV, like, journey people, if not particularly famous. Nan and Ginny's mother is played by none other than Christina Hendricks, which you may know her as Joan from Mad Men. um, or (laughs) You may. So many other things. I was, like, really excited to see her. I don't really know what she's been up to. I don't either, but she's certainly the most like household name if, if anyone qualifies for that in this cast. That's true. The Duke's mother is played by Amelia Bulmore, who I know from British cop shows. And then um, Nan and Ginny's father is played by a character named um, Adam James, Janes, who, did you watch Belgravia? No. Belgravia was sort of like a um, in-between Down Abbey and the Gilded Age, a Julian Fellows jam, very early covid that I watched and he was in that. He plays the he plays like a villain in like so much British stuff. Like he's he's like all over the TV if you are obsessed with British television uh, as I am or if you're British. Um so I was ex- excited to see him. He it's interesting. He's also the like kind of prototypical American status which is he was he's military which you know still confers a lot of um capital S status on you at the time of this television show. So 
I'm excited to see more of them. As our producer Sasha pointed out in episode four, the all the events shift to New York. So we'll be getting more of the American parents versus the British parents. So very exciting stuff. I'm excited to go to New York. I'm excited to see these girls on their home turf a little bit more. As much as I love, uh, you know, seaside swims and (laughs) castles, I'm I'm pumped. Well, they also make a distinction between Saratoga, New York, and New York City, which I'm also excited to see play out because um, Theo, the Duke, asked Nan if she knows how to ride horses or if they do that a lot in New York. And she says, no, but they do in Saratoga. And they're originally from and then Saratoga. She gallops away. <laughs> yeah. So it said it's so good and dramatic. It's just a like a I like some I like a melodrama. I mean, that's why I, I ride hard for Shonda Rhimes. And so this is hitting all the melodrama beats for me. Yeah. And I do think like, you know, there's there's some of that with the the thing about race blind casting until it's not. Like I, I do feel like they know they're choosing well the moments when it makes sense to care about consistency and having things be, you know, historically true and the moments when it just makes for a better story to throw some of that stuff out. And I think like, again, having Conchi be able to bring up her race in a pivotal moment is interesting. And yes. it it adds a richness to the text and to these relationships. And it also feels... I think more interesting to a modern audience. Yeah. But also I think a, a, there are shows that get bogged down in that stuff where it's sort of like, well, if we're going to do it this way, then we have to make sure everything sort of fits. And there's just, that's not going to work. So I like that they just don't care. Yeah. It, it feels um, like deliberate and also fast paced. I think it's just a really fun show. I, I really recommend it. Ultimately, if you like any of the following, I feel like you should watch it. And that's like, like we said, Gilded Age, Bridgerton, um, there was something else that I want that I thought of. What are you going to say, Nora? I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention that. I mean, this isn't this is an Apple TV Plus show. Uh, my experience with Apple TV Plus is that they spend money hand over fist, mm. and while you know, I, I don't know that they've necessarily done that with the cast here. They are doing it with the costumes and the the locations and the real estate and the castle and the on location. And it's, it's fun to watch in that respect as well. There's not quite as much Celine as my other Apple TV favorite. <laughs> I the was going to say, I, I think it's a cute for you as a morning show watcher. And I know you and Amanda uh, discussed it in depth. <laughs> all I think about is how, like, all I think about is how quickly this streaming platform rights checks. And honestly, I think we are the beneficiaries of that. So we definitely are. I love Apple TV plus. It's got a lot of great content. Also, like, I think it's hit rate is high. Like it has less obviously than like Netflix or anything that's like a legacy has like a legacy library, but it's very watchable. I don't know. I I watch most of the Apple TV shows that come along. So I'm into it. I'm, I'm trying to think of what I've watched on Apple TV plus other than this, the morning show and Ted Lasso. I enjoyed Hijack. It was with Idris Elba uh, and many other uh, just actresses from around the way, actors and actresses from around the way in England. Um, a lot of people love For All Mankind. I like have been meaning to watch that, but it's it's uh, pretty beloved. And Slow Horses just is come, about to come back. I don't know. It's just, it's high quality. It, is, it definitely skews English too, which works for me. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention before we wrap up, I feel like something that is going to, com- is coming for America this weekend 
is the movie The Other Zoe, which our colleague Jody Walker has told me has been like all over TikTok for weeks. And so uh, don't be surprised if that's flooding your feed this week. It's a streaming movie that you can catch. So uh, I know it's, it's a passion exciting. of Jody's. So hopefully we'll get her to talk about it on this podcast soon. <laughs> Thank you to our producer, Sasha Oshel. Thank you, Nora, for joining me for this conversation. Um, check out Buccaneers on Apple TV+. Plus. I really don't think you'll regret it. Same. 